It's almost as though nature had, in each case, designed the mistress and the maids to suit each other, said Li Wan. Take grandmother and faithful, for example. Grandmother would be completely lost without faithful. Who in the family from Lady Wan downwards would ever dare answer grandmother back? Yet faithful does, and what's more, grandmother will listen to her. And look at all the things that grandmother has. No one else could ever remember them the way that faithful does. Just think how grandmother would be plundered and cheated if faithful weren't there to look after them. And on top of it all, she's a very fair person. She'll often put in a good word for someone. And though she has so much influence on grandmother, she never, never uses it to do anyone down. Exciting episode of Rereading the Stone. This is Kevin Wilson, joined as always by William Jones. Will, how's it going? Good. Good morning. How about you? I am doing great. Uh, enjoying a nice California sunset. Um, Very nice. There's no clouds in the, in the sky, so no uh, possibility of taisha uh, of the rosy red pigments. We become so um, interested in through this novel, uh, but everything's going great. Really, really letting you down. Those, yeah, those sunsets, yeah, you know. I have to say. Uh, but um, yeah, let's, let's talk about this week. We're doing chapter thirty-nine, uh, subtitled mm. "An Inventive Old Countrywoman Tells a Story of Somewhat Questionable Veracity," and an impressionable young listener insists on getting to the bottom of the matter. Uh, this is kind of a fun, uh, a lighter chapter, uh, a shorter chapter, and yeah. we're going to experience, uh, we, we witnessed the return of a, uh, a favorite character back from chapter six. Uh, chapter but before six, we reveal yeah. who that is, uh, how about we do our usual um, recap and review of, of last chapter? Sure thing. So last time around, it was a big poetry chapter. Um, and so it's quite kind of heavy, rather dense, lots of material to, to work through. Um, as you'll recall, a couple of the uh, members of the household, the, the younger family members, um, have formed a poetry club, the Crab Flower Club. And uh, among their number is Shi uh, Xiangyun, who's a, a kind of cousin of the main family. And she uh, holds a party to... Um, admire the blooming cassia flowers, which are yeah in blossom at this time of year, and to eat crab, and to compose poetry in kind of honor of uh, the chrysanthemum flower. So they all get together, not just the poetry club, but the whole family and lots of the servants. They have this big party outside. They compose the poems, and then they kind of sit around discussing them, 
and then right at the tail end they also do a couple of quick uh slightly more kind of whimsical poems um in memory of eating the crabs so in this chapter we pick up from the very kind of tail end of the party um and um some of the members of the family are by this point maybe a little bit drunk um and they're sitting and talking about the maidservants and they're talking about how good they all are how virtuous they are in their own kind of distinct ways uh anyway then the party kind of packs up and on the way back two of the aforementioned uh maidservants uh ping are known in the hawks as patience so that's the maid to wang xifeng and hua xiren known as aroma in the hawks translation so the maid servant to bao yu uh they stop to chat on the way and um aroma asks uh patience where this month's pay is because it's a few days late and a very tense conversation ensues uh on this subject um and eventually then they 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 separate pingar patience returns back to her chambers and there she finds um a countrywoman an old kind of peasant called granny leo leo lao lao in the chinese uh who's come with her grandson banar to bring uh some gifts to the household so way back in chapter 6 she had come to beg for money because uh her family was facing a very tough winter and might not make it through without help and sifeng gifted her 20 taels of silver uh and that was enough to see her through and now she is kind of returning the favor in the way uh it, you know it in some capacity as far as she's able to by giving them the the first pick of the harvest so the first crops to be um ready to eat from all of their different things that they grow and so having made this gift she's preparing to leave when she is summoned before grandmother jia the matriarch of the household uh who has heard that there's a, another old lady in the house and wants to to chat with her uh and so they spend the rest of the chapter you know talking about her life in the countryside and things and one of the stories that she tells is um well it's somewhat kind of fabricated to make it more exciting and some of those fabricated elements really capture the imagination of our young protagonist jia baoyu and he almost kind of interrogates <laughs> <laughs> granny leo for more details about this story uh it concerns a um a temple near the village which a couple uh constructed in memory of their daughter who died young and in the temple was a uh, statue of the daughter but after the couple died it fell into kind of uh disrepair and now so the story goes this statue of the young woman uh comes to life and haunts the villagers uh and so bao yu is very fascinated by this probably just because it involves a pretty young girl and um so he sends his his manservant uh pei ming uh in the in the hawk's mm. tea leaf to go investigate um this temple and and come back um and tea leaf is gone all day uh and he eventually returns and says he found a temple but it's it didn't have a pretty girl inside it had a terrifying plague god and uh bayu is very frustrated by this um but he says that um you know maybe tea leaf can go back and investigate more another time uh and that's pretty much where the chapter ends
Okay, great. So I guess my kind of my first impressions on uh, chapter thirty nine is that I, I would emphasize uh, there seems to be a lot of kind of like going out and coming in energy to this chapter, uh, and, and so we see that in, in kind of different ways. We have in the beginning we have Lee Wan's story of uh, of sending away uh, in her youth the maid servants that she didn't like or or uh, who didn't care for her. Um, and, and then she kind of has this, uh, she mm-hmm. expresses loneliness and uh, a desire for companionship. Um, and so later, later in the chapter, we have, uh, Aroma, uh, Hua Shiren, yes, Shiren. uh, trying yes. to get the money from, uh, patients and she learning that in, in the process that, uh, Wang Shifeng has been sort of, uh, engaging in. She's basically lo- loaning out the money to the community and bringing in a, bringing in a profit, right? And that's another kind of, in, in my view, this kind of like in and out flow, and this kind of this almost like productive or even you know like surplus generating process, right? She's she's earning interest on her on her like investments, right? And at the same time, we have the return from the outside of uh, Granny Liu, and her there's a question of her um whether she's paying back the the uh the very generous gift she received in the past or whether she is in fact uh here in in a more calculating capacity uh trying to you maybe maybe get more resources and money from this extremely wealthy uh jia family right uh and so in each case we have a, a kind of ex- exchange mm-hmm. or yeah. a potential for exchange and, and the like the intentions and the motivations of the like individual agents is um very much called into question and this, this maybe could lead to a, an interesting discussion of like kind of almost proto-capitalist mindset uh and just the at times the paradoxical nat- nature of relationships at this historical moment but also, I think more broadly, I think we, uh, we some of the, the, the tension and contradictions of our own, uh, like, society, when, when we read this historical work, we, uh, we, like, automatically kind of displace our own uh, concerns and anxieties onto the text in a way that I think is, is actually like a kind of like a, a form of productive dialogue, even if, you know, sometimes maybe... Uh, the, the shading is a little bit off here and there. Uh, I, so I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot to talk about in this chapter in in terms of these. Yeah. Um, I, I found it like I, I probably have less to say this week on um, the use of language. There, there's no poetry in this uh, in this chapter, but there there are um, kind of a lot of uh, a lot of material, a lot a lot of stories, and a lot of things to kind of work through. I also want to say one more kind of in, inward and outward flow. Would be as you mentioned, uh, tea leaf is sent by Bao Yu to search for this like mythical maiden's shrine, right? And that's that's another kind of movement yeah. where he goes out, <laughs> he searches, he's unsuccessful in his search, he comes back, and so that's kind of how I'm how I'm characterizing the this chapter. Uh, what do you think? Um, I mean, I would I would agree with all of that, and I do think just as a passing point i i i recognize there's this kind of tension between trying to trying not too much or, try, or trying not as far as possible to kind of project 
your like contemporary feelings or view of society uh, onto this this novel um, to try to see it for itself, you know, as the artifact that it is. But then again, I also think that drawing those distinctions is, as you say, productive kind of dialogue. It's an interesting, uh, it's a very interesting exercise to engage in. I, I would maybe add that, and we actually see a similar thing happen in this chapter when it's very clear that uh, Greddy Leo is deliberately trying to construct stories that she thinks will suit the, the sentiments of her of her uh, audience. So in a way, she's kind of crafting stories in order to be projected onto, right? Um, and that's kind of it. That's inherent to the, the, the storytelling form. And mm-hmm. so like, that, that's kind of, I, I think, a, a, a very like deep tension, maybe in all literature, right? Uh, the question of, you know, yeah, like whether you're supposed to identify uh, with the, you know, with the, the characters in the story or, or how are or are you not supposed to identify with them? That's kind of a perennial question, issue, uh, even like a conflict in some ways. So in this chapter, um, as we said, we have the return of a <clears throat> an old favorite, Granny Leo. And as we said, the last time we saw her was in chapter six. Um, and the, the Granny Leo chapters... <laughs> these two so far anyway have served almost as like a kind of a bit of light relief or refreshment after quite heavy material um so chapter six followed chapter five which is the dream sequence which is a young Bayou falls asleep and goes to this dream world full of very mysterious and quite ominous portentous kind of images and scenes and is indeed nearly kind of swallowed up by uh, a, a horde of kind of monsters and undead um, at one point. Uh, and then in chapter six, we have the arrival of Granny mm-hmm. Leo, and mm-hmm. that kind of washes all of that away to an extent. And here we have, I mean, last chapter wasn't heavy in the same way in terms of, you know, it wasn't necessarily kind of uh, frightening, but it was, <laughs> you know, dealing with 12 big poems um you know quite quite a kind of dense chapter that took a Mm -hmm. lot of work to unpack and once again now here we have a kind of lighter easier rather more kind of yeah quite comic at points yeah for sure chapter yeah i want to dwell on one thing very quickly which is um just before we get into this this is presumably although it's not stated explicitly this is presumably the first harvest that granny lil and family have had since receiving the gift from um, mm-hmm. from the jazz, uh, the twenty tales that saw them through the winter, um, and so that would suggest that in the time between chapter six, which was uh, kind of winter, early winter, and chapter thirty-nine, which is what we're on now, uh, it's slightly less than a year has passed. Um, because you've gone from winter time until harvest, right. which is well, I guess kind right. of early autumn. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if it, it, it doesn't. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> this is just an, another example of the chronology of the book being very confused or very confusing in a way. Um, we've mentioned it before. Sometimes in chapters, things take, you know, an entire chapter might take right. about thirty minutes. In, in in book time yeah uh, right. and in other chapters an entire year might pass and so it's it's like like when yuan trun goes to become an imperial concubine um 
it seems like she goes away and they immediately get to work on the garden and making the garden takes maybe six months and then as soon as it's finished she returns and so you think she's you know been away really at most approaching a year um and but she seems to imply that it's mm -hmm. been years and you know years and years and years and this is maybe just the result of these inconsistencies maybe are the result of as we said this kind of like palimpsest like quality of the of the text that it's mm -hmm. written and rewritten and written over almost so that there isn't perfect continuity but at the same time it may be that it's a deliberate decision that that things are presented in a kind of non-linear fashion and we're not always supposed to understand one chapter as necessarily yeah. proceeding into the other. In some cases, it clearly is the case. But, for example, in, I think, chapter 20, 23, 24, an entire year passes. And we know this because Bayou does a poem for each one of the four seasons. Right, exactly. That's uh, a good example. Uh, chapter 23, right? So, where does the chapter start? Where does it begin? So we remember from last chapter that uh, kind of the, the the very minor cliffhanger was, um, oh, patience arrives. Uh, so in terms of <laughs> yeah. like cliffhangers, it's the, the, the least eventful maybe that we've encountered or, or one of them, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and so chapter 39, yes, indeed, patience has arrived. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um <laughs> And then we learn basically that uh, Shifeng wants some more crabs. Uh, she's sent patients there, uh, but so as not to seem um, too one-sided, she's she's sent patients with a number of you know fine yeah, other delicacies. Kind of, yeah, delicacies. Yeah, you know, chicken fat rolls. Yeah, yeah. I was um, going to ask you about that. What, what do you think that would be? I I I don't know. I just imagine some like fried food like extremely uh unhealthy that's what i was yeah imagining. yeah let me just google them quickly and check because i've got the i've got the thing here there's um ling ling fun gao so like caltrop um caltrop flower yeah like some kind of some kind of f like flower root um cake um okay so that looks kind of gross but i think it's probably actually pretty tasty <laughs> Um, it's it's kind of like jelly. It's sort of like jelly, and it's kind of like khaki green um, or brown. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, the chicken the chicken fat rolls seem to be something almost like a uh, yeah, some kind of dumpling basically. Mm. Okay. A kind of rolled rolled dumpling. Nice. Anyway, so as you said, she's come over to ask for some crabs. Yeah, and they give her some some good ones, but uh, kind of long story short. Uh, this is kind of an interesting scene, by the way. Um, Patience gets kind of um, detained. She does, doesn't she? She gets kind of buttonholed, as it were. You know, Li, Li Wan grabs her and she doesn't let her go. Basically, she says, you've got to stay here and hang out with us instead of always being at Shi Feng's beck and call. Yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's a very friendly scene overall, but it has um, strange, it has weird energy. <laughs> um, and I've been kind of thinking about it a lot, actually. It's probably in my in my view, it's one of the more interesting moments in the chapter. Even though I, I think maybe it's it, it could be passed over easily as well. Um, yeah. And so, basically, uh, I guess 
I get the impression that Liwan has been drinking to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, her yeah. behavior is kind of um, unrestrained. Uh, it seems to me like a rare example of Liwan's personality actually coming through because the rest of the time she seems so kind of insipid, to be honest, quite kind of bland as a character. Yeah, the thing that's the trigger for that, just to mention, is when she, as you mentioned, is, is uh, giving her this kind of... It's not a kind of hug because they're not necessarily face to face. I think they're sitting side by side, but she has her arms mm -hmm. around her and she feels some kind of hard lump um, in Patience's clothing. And right. she says, oh, you know, what's what's this? Um, and what it seems to be a, a kind of a keychain or something. A key. Mm. Also, like, in my opinion, a like a phallic object. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Didn't you like immediately read that in a kind of Lacanian way that that's like the. Uh, oh, when she finds something hard under her clothes. I don't know. That's like the. Uh, have you ever have you ever read Lacan's. Um, <laughs> I'm, af I'm afraid I didn't. <laughs> Lacan has this um, this famous kind of uh, review of Edgar Allan Poe's The Purloined Letter. Uh, okay. and, and so, which, which involves um, signifiers and signifieds, but it also, it, it goes in some of the, the dynamics of like, you know, like the openness of having a signifier or, or the, the properties of being signified. And, and so when like okay. she had the key, you know, she had the power, then the power becomes this like concrete object. I, I, I just like, all, all those associations started uh, <laughs> firing, but I did. I, I did the not, fact that you didn't I think did of that—that's good. That that makes that that makes this take uh, all the hotter because it was yeah, apparently spicy, not obvious. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so Liwan finds the key on patience, and, and and she realizes this is a like a uh, a manifestation of her. I guess of her power in the relationship, the fact that uh, Shifeng trusts her, right? Um, mm. So you and in fact, not just trusts, but kind of relies upon her. Yeah, yeah. So, so you see, like intimacy, power, and authority are all kind of um, like interdefined, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and so that's kind of the, the general, like the theme of of, of the following. Uh, series of kind of comparisons where everyone's talking about you know the importance basically of having a uh a loyal a good servant like a, a loyal sidekick a, a trusty servant basically um and so what what are the comparisons that they make okay so it's basically like the who's who of of trusty servants right so so ping R is is clearly uh shifeng's uh right hand um lady um yeah for uh, grandmother Jia, it's uh, oh wait one second. Sorry, I, I wanted to sorry I wanted to talk about the comparisons where they talk about uh, Xuanzang and this the melon spirit. In, oh oh oh, you know. oh okay yeah okay do that now yeah we can just oh okay sure sure sure, sure. Well, well just that the um um like we were saying the the first comparison they make is between the relationship between Wang Xifeng and Ping R patients is. Uh, in Li Wan's view, at least, similar to, um, um, in the Hawks, it says, just as you can't imagine a Tripitaka going off to India to fetch the scriptures without his white horse, or a Liu Zhiyuan conquering the emperor without a spirit of the melon fields to give him his armor, so you can't imagine a Wang Shifeng without a patience alongside helping her. Um, did you look into these comparisons much at all? Um, well, the Tripitaka is is. Um, a, a pretty easy reference to Shioji, right? 
Yeah, the and, journey uh, to the West. And one of the, uh, yeah, the journey to the West. And so Tripitaka, uh, uh, Tang Sung, he is accompanied by a number of like spirits or uh, semi-immortals, including, uh, you know, of course, famously the Monkey King, but also uh, Chubajie, um, the um, sometimes Pigsy, Pigsy I, I think he's referred to, yeah, yeah. Um, as well as uh, as well as a few other uh, characters, including this this horse who mm-hmm. is um, also an immortal, but who doesn't really have a spe- much of a speaking role. I think he occasionally oh, yeah? says a few things, but he, he's kind of, he's one of the less important characters. This, this comparison didn't seem to me entirely flattering, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I <laughs> because the horse is, is like, he's just sort of a horse. He doesn't like, he, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess he's trustworthy, yeah, this, but uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, did you look into this Leo, Leo Druan one? I, I, I had a, I had a quick look. So yeah, this period between the Tang and Song dynasties, it, <clears throat> it's called the Five Dynasties and Ten Kingdoms period. Tenth um, century. Uh, yes, exactly. So it's it's for most of the 900s, um, and one of the one of these five dynasties is the later Han, basically, uh, and uh-huh. and uh, the you know one of the emperors under the later Han was a figure called Liu Liu Zhuyuan. Um, and he, as a young man, um, fought a kind of melon spirit in a field and prevailed over it. And this melon spirit kind of carried his armor for him or provided him his armor. So it's this, yeah, it's, it's kind of like mythical founding story for this, for this historical figure, basically. Um, <clears throat> so again, it's not, right. it's not like an entirely flattering comparison. It's, um, Yeah. It's like a, it's basically a, a sidekick, right? Well, he um I feel like probably the most apt comparison in the kind of western canon is uh, uh Don Quixote and Sancho Panza probably. Um oh, okay. <laughs> patience is the is the Sancho Panza to <laughs> Wang Xifeng's uh I don't know. <laughs> um I mean that type of relationship I suppose is what they maybe what they're aiming at here. I think so. I think so. Do you think just as an aside this is um a little bit um, maybe like self-indulgent or even boastful by the author by by drawing these comparisons between ah, his own characters and his own story and like these great um, you know previous examples from Chinese history and literature including as you mentioned Journey to the West um, is he kind of saying my story mm. is as good as, as them you know that's a good question I think you can get away with it in the same way that you can get away with, you know, like quoting Shakespeare without uh, presuming to be creating Shakespearean, you know, quality work. Right? I suppose so. I suppose uh, so. Um, it, it really is, you know, the way you do it. Although it's funny you mentioned Shakespeare because one of the things that I think we've picked up on this before, but <clears throat> which I'm increasingly finding to be true is that there are, you know, figures of speech just as there, there are lots and lots of figures of speech in Chinese that come from uh, Hong Lo Meng come from this novel. Uh, so just in the mm-hmm. same way that lots of figures of speech are credited to Shakespeare, um, the same is true here. And um, one in particular comes out of this and the kind of following chapters. This chapter, right? Uh, yeah. Which is Liu Liu Lao Lao Jin Da Guan Yuan. So Granny Liu enters the 
grand prospect garden, which mm. we'll see she she will do in this chapter. Um, but that's a, a figure of speech apparently that describes a a kind of hick or country bumpkin uh, entering the big city. It's it's, it's that kind of uh-huh. it's that type of that feeling that that that, that kind of phrase expresses. Um, hmm. And yeah, that's taken okay. straight from this novel. So. Anyway, so they're having so. this rare moment of kind of self-awareness, aren't they? The the the, the noble members of the household, um, they're kind of rec- I think so, yeah. Yeah, kind of recognizing how sort of helpless almost they would be without their servants, um, without their servants there. And as you say, that they're going to go through them kind of in turn, um, and and list out the 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 kind of good qualities of the servants, um, but one that one previous example that springs to mind is the character um i think he's called jiao da old jiao uh, big right. big jiao from the i think chapter 7 and he was the he was the kind of manservant of jia jing i think so the the kind of patriarch yeah. of the of the ningguo branch that sounds right yeah and we hear that as a young man his life was saved several times by uh, by jiao da um he brought him food when he was close to starving and br- gave him water when he was close to dying of thirst um, when they were kind of on campaign in Mongolia or something like that. Um, right. So he really is the uh, another example, although, of course, he, he's not mentioned in this chapter because of, you know, uh, past yeah. ignominies. Yeah, he's disgraced um, himself. Um, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. But that, that, that really is a parallel, but kind of a, it, it renders this whole dialogue somewhat problematic. It just goes to show that these these servants, although they are at times indispensable, uh, and theirs is a kind of thankless task in many ways, they also can be kind of dispensed with once they're no longer useful. Um, you know, just as the, was the mm-hmm. case with Jiao Da. You know, he's, he's a kind of spends most of his time drinking because his master, although still alive, has now given himself over to the search for, like, eternal life through Taoism, right? Right. So he's this kind of cast-off now. Basically, in the text, they they, they read through a number of the important, you know, examples of this dynamic. Uh, So one example is Grandmother Jia and uh, Faithful. Uh, Yuan Yang in the original. And they, they talk about how, you know, it's actually, like, surprisingly, uh, Faithful is one of the only ones who is able to like openly uh criticize a uh, grandmother Ja. yeah um and, and so you, it, it is really kind of a fascinating dynamic where you have um like a, a clearly uh hierarchical relationship but it, it it does breed this like intimacy and, and at times potentially very open forms of communi- communication mm-hmm. and, and so it's kind of like even at the time i think when this was written this was sort of uh kind of obviously like remarked upon you know remarkable you could say um but even i I think from like our modern kind of uh vantage point it's even more remarkable but maybe not entirely i I think on one hand that uh our like you know our society is very much based on this kind of this like almost like bourgeois notion of um like calculation and, and and the constant um uh, like forming equalities between to making sure that all exchanges are instantaneous and there's no kind of um, like residual like social debt that that you know um, compounds naturally. 
Um, and so when you have something that's very different from that in many ways, I, I think it's a, it's like a kind of a, a, an object of fascination. And it also may be that kind of dynamic might be enhanced when, you know, outside, you know, in the marketplace, on the street, in your day to day life, everything is so based upon these, these calculations. Um, when you have, you know, something that's like set in stone, like it's like the set hierarchies, these set kind of like roles, almost, you know, like quasi feudal, but very much based on like traditions that, that have been handed down generation after generation, yeah. right? And we've seen that before. We saw how with uh, Hua Shiren, her family, you know, has been serving the, the Jia family for, for generations, mm. right? And that's where the feudal kind of analogy it's you know it's not an identity it's just an analogy but it's it's a useful analogy when you when when you see that kind of dynamic right um mm -hmm. and so it's it's really interesting to see that in this chapter at the same time that we're going to see you know like money lending we're going to see promises oaths debts it's all kind of it's all kind of here together and, yeah but it's like it's 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 a little bit like jagged around the edges, mm -hmm. right? That's where that's where, that's where the interesting stuff I think happens. Yeah, we see a lot of that in this chapter, don't we? The, the as you said, the different kind of debts or obligations, um, and even as we'll see with grandma, uh, Granny Leo, a kind of like gift type economy, um, or like a gift type, um, the, the like the kind of gift concept, I suppose. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the, definitely. The kind right? of things that are associated with it and, and kind of flow from that. Um, yeah, it's very. It's like a, it's a Mar Marcel Mos. It's like a Mosian chapter, yeah. uh, very much. Like, what is a gift? We're getting anthropological uh, here. Yeah. Uh, um, you briefly drew kind of like modern analogy, and it just made me think. I suppose the the clearest like modern analog here is of the the kind of like secretarial or assistant figure who um, kind of organizes and handles everything behind the scenes for some, uh, you know, more kind of visible uh, executive type figure, you know? Right, um, right. And and you'll often see this kind of thing where you have like a, you know, a CEO or some other important person. They will, s they'll often express feelings towards their, their kind of, their secretary or their executive assistant or, or, or whatever this person is called of, you know, feelings of kind of, I could not do this without you, without you to organize my life. This would not kind of, you know, I would not be, um, I wouldn't be able to do all of the things that I do and, and kind of, you know, <clears throat> you do all these things in the background that make it possible for, you know, organizing my timetable or like making sure I, you know, I mean, a lot of the things actually described here. So the ability to talk back to or kind of push push back on some of the some of their ideas uh, as is the case with faithful or <clears throat> being kind of incorruptible and honest as is the case with faithful or being um very organized about the kind of the schedule or the calendar as is the case for i think tai xia uh Suncloud, lady wang's maid okay um but i think also as you say like even in that relationship there is this kind of blurring of like the professional and the personal in terms of you know, you will often hear the story of um, <laughs> the the executives like spouse or children having to almost kind of like reach them through their assistant um, 
Okay, yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I think I'm getting a little bit off topic. Uh, <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> it just it just kind of reminded me of it, yeah. And that kind of, you know, my own comment was hedged in a way because I, I realized as I was saying it that, you know, we still do sort of have these variations on this kind of relationship. Yeah, with, you know, and it usually is um, in the context of, of extremely, like, high-status individuals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, a, a, lo- a lawyer or a doctor might have a, a secretary or a nurse, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, where it, it's it's not the same, obviously, but um, it's not entirely dissimilar, right? It, it's kind of like, it's almost like shockingly like less dissimilar than maybe it should be. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? For uh, well, I, uh, I remember a friend of mine telling me a, a very like tragic sounding story of, um, I think she, she worked for a, a big law firm and she said that two of the partners in the in the law firm so essentially the the owners and managers of the business were married and they had children but because the two of the two parents were so kind of busy the whole time they had three kind of maids working shifts eight hour shifts round the clock each day looking after the kids because they kind of were never around to look after them um (laughs) and so i mean it doesn't sound yeah that doesn't sound dissimilar to this really at all Um, um yeah I guess you know what's what's interesting is that this this whole conversation ends with um basically uh Li Wan expressing her, her loneliness and, and her need for companionship and so it's almost as if you know she's she she wishes she had a maid like uh like patience mm-hmm. and, and it's clear that there the she really desires that kind of intimacy and companionship yeah on some level yeah um and it actually uh she kind of she breaks down in in tears a little bit Mm -hmm. and it it more or less um it ends the party (laughs) yeah um once yeah once the once the taps turn on once the crying starts it's time to to wrap things up and, and i guess it's at that moment that uh patience finally is able to um to leave to go back to see Shifang, who's been um yeah uh, somewhat annoyed by her uh extended absence yeah we see we see a message don't we the, the, a, a she as, as we said she's gone to collect the crabs she sends the crabs back with another servant and she remains and then mm-hmm. a, the servant returns and says you know while Shifang was very happy to get the the crabs she's a bit less happy that you have decided to stick around and get drunk um yes, <laughs> yes. that kind of thing um uh-huh and this act this comment actually makes patients uh like even more actively <laughs> uh partake in you know yeah that makes her all the more yeah in the festivities she was actually somewhat um, <laughs> reluctant before but now she's you know and so, the, yeah, there, there definitely is this, like, this constant tension, um, I, I think, in, even even in, like, the, the best of these relationships, as mm-hmm. it were. Um, so, anyway, as as Patience is, is going back, she goes with Aroma, and they stop, uh, they stop at Baoyu's place, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Aroma makes her tea, I believe? Yeah, she offers her tea. Um, Oh, she offers her tea, but she's declined. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, finally, uh, Aroma broaches the, the issue mentioned in previous chapters of the, the monthly allowances. 
and and the answer is rather complicated mm-hmm. um it's kind of the it might be the big reveal of this chapter so we we've known in the past that uh Shifeng, she likes she likes a good hustle yeah she likes bordering even like she's not opposed to just downright swindle right she likes hustling she likes swindling she likes uh turning profits yeah okay. yeah and and apparently it's really it's really taken off mm. maybe in the last year or so it's not entirely clear but uh she's at she has a whole system you know she got it worked and, out and she's she, i mean she's like uh she's like bear stern she's heavily leveraged oh yeah yeah, she's facing a liquidity crunch at the moment because um, <laughs> yeah. of some subprime lending. Um. Some, yeah, definitely some like shady lending. Um, so what? And so she's basically, I, I mean, the, the exact details are, are only kind of alluded to, mm-hmm. but it just sounds as if she's taking all of her money and she's she's like, she's lending it all out, yeah. right, at, at interest. Yeah, and so. It turns out in the last year, um, she might have made uh, about a thousand tails. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite a big profit, quite a handsome profit of, of silver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I guess that's what you know. What what did they give? They gave uh, Granny Leo in chapter six. They gave her twenty, 20 to exactly. um, to tie the um, to tie like the season basically. Yeah. Um, and and so she's she's bringing in profit that is. You know, fifty times the um, yeah, the average fifty times you know that. the annual the annual kind of expenditure of a peasant family kind of thing. Um, that's that's like uh, that's significant. That's, right? that's pretty significant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I suppose actually nothing really compared to our present day, but um, yeah, and she's doing um, presumably what's happening here is she she receives the money to pay the servants and then distributes from kind of the central household treasury and then she kind of distributes it out and it seems maybe what she's been doing is she's been taking all of that money she's received and lending it out to people and then using the interest yeah. on various other loans to cover to cover that um that's basically how banks run right mm. the whole idea of a bank is that like like in theory, everyone could draw their money out at the same time, and that would cause a big problem. But in practice, that never actually happens. Yeah. Except when there's a run on the bank. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the thing it is... It never happens except when it does happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what she's doing, it seems identical, you know? Um, and so that really got me thinking uh, what I was saying earlier about this, like, wow, like, is this, is this pre-capitalist mindset? Is it well? Or yeah. Is it is this just like a human? Is this like a trans trans historical? Just like this is, if you're just really kind of uh, calculating, this is just what you do. Mm-hmm. Maybe it can't be. Maybe we can't, you know, um, blame this on historical circumstances, or we, we can't blame it on the the Protestant ethic of whatever, whatever. Well, I think you I know. think the one <laughs> distinction here is that. Um, in this situation, her activities are clearly somewhat clandestine and definitely tinged with a kind of shame or uh, mm. dis- disapprobation. Some, you know, it, when Shiran, when Aroma asks about the, <clears throat> the 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 missing pay, because now with the, yeah the servants' pay is several days late, we think um, it attracts a quite sort of angry response almost from from patients from Pingar. You know, she says, 
you know, please don't ask, you know, don't ask about it, you know. Ni kwai bia one. Like, don't ask. Just zip it, basically, you know. Don't don't mention that. Um, well, I mean, patience is so much more prudent yeah. than Shifang. My, my sense is that she doesn't approve of this. She would never do this herself. This is not in keeping with her character. This is some spicy... Mm. This is some spicy nonsense. Yeah. This isn't... <laughs> But, but but I think <laughs> Slow and steady, I think that's yeah. the difference here, isn't it? Is that you mentioned the, the 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 idea of like the Protestant work ethic being somehow inexorably linked to like uh, capitalism or the growth of capitalism, right? The, the old the the vapor the the Weberian <laughs> thesis, and right? like maybe the the um, <clears throat> the big distinction is the approach to money lending from being something that's kind of shameful and like sinful even, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. to being a perfectly legitimate thing to engage in. Um, you know, I mean, uh, two things I suppose are worth commenting on. One is our previous interaction with uh, money lenders was with the, the, the drunken diamond. Um, I forget. Uh, he's called uh, Niar, I think. Um, right, okay. In a couple of maybe 10 or so chapters ago. And he mm. is a rather fearsome and, you know, uh, feared... You know, he's a he's a sort of fearsome character, um, but he does something nice for one of for for Jia Yun, as I remember. He lends him a fair big chunk of money at no interest whatsoever. Uh-huh. But but he's otherwise, you know, he's a kind of low life, I guess, um, and that's probably the way that money lenders generally are, are sort of depicted as a kind of loan shark type character. Um, and the other point to note is, as you mentioned. Xi Feng has clearly developed a taste for kind of, as he said, hustling. Um, the first example we saw of this was her taking a very large sum from, uh, I think it was from the abbess of the Temple of the Iron Threshold, to intervene in this very complicated um, sort of love triangle, as it were. Or it's really a question of competing suitors, um, mm-hmm. uh, which she did, um, but it did not turn out successfully even though she did pocket the cash. At least two of the parties committed suicide. Um, and and so the implication there is that this is her getting her first taste for kind of like uh, graft, I suppose, and corruption. Mm. And this is treated as being uh, consistent with that. You know, it's being kind of... Um, yeah. Uh, of, a same, of the same kind of tone or of the same kind of character as it. So I suppose that's the way that money lending is presented here was all I wanted to observe. And we're also going to see some more money lending uh, in future chapters. We're going to find out, for instance, I think it's in chapter 58, maybe around, where uh, we, we learn a little more about uh, Aunt Shue, uh, yeah. who herself has a, a pawn shop. Right, um, yeah. And we talk about how, I believe in that chapter, one of the maids is having difficulty paying back a, a loan. Um and it's causing all these problems. Yeah, and, I forget and again, that have that's shops. another kind of like it's 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 quasi banking, right? Basically, yeah. Uh, it, it, some of the same principles apply, mm-hmm. right? It's a provision uh, of and, and also thing, it's yeah. it's also kind of quasi uh, like legitimate, basically. Mm-hmm. Pawn shops are notoriously associated with um, crime, yeah, and and just exploitation more generally, right? Yeah, unquestionably um, exploitative, so, definitely. And so there's like a deep kind of, um, I, I think these tensions are going to keep emerging. Um, but I, I would say this is, yeah, for this chapter, this is the big reveal. 
and so she um Siren has kind of not left herself enough in the way of strategic capital reserves to cover her position um um and mm. so the the, <laughs> the servants being kind of less powerful and apparently not unionized are going without <laughs> no. until she can recover it uh-huh um and so i i think this is kind of a um this seems to be foreshadowing mm. um larger problems right mm. you, you can tell if it's already gotten this serious you can only imagine what's going to happen yeah uh, later on um so it kind of the clouds are are forming they're gathering around. aren't they yeah um yeah and they have this little conversation uh aroma and patience where patient says well surely you're not short of money you know you don't spend much you save a lot and aroma says no i i am fine it's just that she says she likes to have a bit of money lying around in case Baoyu wants something which is so funny to me the idea that the servant should be paying for the master's stuff although or just lending him money yeah presumably you know, based on his reimbursed. just not being not being prepared mm. you know she's um, his kind of credit card you know when he, he when he wants something but he doesn't have the money on to hand she she can supply it it reminds me of a, a scene from uh, have you ever seen the hbo show succession i never did no it's 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 basically depicting a kind of like a pseudo uh, Murdoch family. Ah. A, 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 and there's this one scene where like this like, you know, this potential uh, heiress, you know, is going to be worth like billions of dollars, doesn't have any cash on on hand, and, and so she borrows like the last ten dollars of 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 a comparatively uh, impoverished like relative. Yeah. In order to you know uh, to get some some food from a vending machine <laughs> or something it's the same kind of like uh disconnect mm -hmm. you know like what like what ten dollars means to one person uh versus what it means to somebody else yeah it's, which is again the, the the issue with these with with loaning things and with um any kind of any kind of like debt relation uh like it, it you know that 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 debt will be felt differently for different uh, members of the transaction, different parties in the transaction, uh, and this kind of this like this this disconnect can create all kinds of uh, really like deep issues and mm -hmm. uh, misunderstandings and so on and so forth. So, um, at this point, the conversation kind of wraps up. Yet another maid has come to search for uh, patients sent by Sifo, <laughs> so she at last returns. So you, you could say that you could say that uh, Shifeng really truly lacks patience. <laughs> uh, well done, <laughs> well done. <laughs> but go on. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you for a dumb joke. <laughs> no, I, I, I just I was actually just thinking about her name in Chinese though, because she's Ping R R being just like a um, a suffix indicating like a a person mm -hmm. basically, or like a slight like um, not term of endearment. What's the word I'm looking for? Like it makes a name kind diminutive. of like not cute, diminutive. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, and ping is kind of like literally flat, but can mean kind of like peaceful, placid, mm -hmm. something like that. So patience is kind of an interesting spin on that, I suppose, in English. Um, <clears throat> but that's the kind of impression, right? It's of of um, yeah, kind of placidity. Um, okay, so why has Xi Feng been so impatiently? summoning her back oh because 
we have our surprise um, uh, guest to the compound. None other than uh, Granny Leo. Uh, yes. You said before uh, Granny Leo is your favorite character. Do you do you stand by that um, assertion? I stand by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that said, I do think my, you know, who counts as favorite changes a lot. And one problem with this book, which it does advertise in the first chapter, is that it's not kind of heroic. There aren't necessarily characters for you to really, uh, or I mean, rather, all of the characters actually are deeply flawed in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Nobody is a kind of perfect uh, figure that you can aspire to. But I think Granny Lo Leo is one of the best um, because, you know, she is, um, she clearly does very much care for her family. <coughs> she is, uh, even though she's not really educated, she is very, she has a great kind of natural intelligence. Mm -hmm. She has quite good kind of emotional mm. intelligence and understanding of others. Um, and, and yeah, she also, as you said, she kind of, she hustles a bit. Um, <laughs> Um, but she isn't really exploiting anyone who can't be exploited, you know. Um, okay, yeah, she hustles up. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't. You know, she's not stepping on on people smaller than her. And we're gonna find actually, she's gonna be really important. Uh, sh she will herself um, feel a, a kind of a debt of gratitude toward the the Jia uh, family in general and toward uh, Shifang in particular. Um, which is yeah. going to be kind of yeah. critical toward the plot later, much later on. Indeed, it will be. Um, it will be. Yeah. Let's yeah. just leave that 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 kind of like um, not spoiler. Uh, What's the other one? Teaser. Yeah, a little foreshadowing. Yeah. A little. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, so it's Granny Leo, and she's accompanied by her grandson Banar. Of course. Which, as yeah. we've mentioned, that's before, her trusty it's sidekick. Like <laughs> yeah, her trusty sidekick Plank. <laughs> I mean, that's what Ban. As we said, R is a diminutive, and so Ban is just like Planky, Plank Boy, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and this is maybe like um, a kind of joke. Um, uh, maybe uh, I don't think it's necessarily like a characteristic name of of you know peasants at the time, but it's maybe saying that children are not given like. Among Chinese peasantry, children are not necessarily given like grandly mm -hmm. ambitious or beautiful names. They're given the very like practical, functional ones. In st in stark contrast to the members of the household, e even the servants who are all named after uh, ornamental clouds and uh, and beautiful um, animals and so on and so forth. Yeah, they're all named after pretty, you know, beautiful, elegant things. Um, you know, birds, flowers, as you said, and, and ditto the members of the household. Um, but he is Plank. <laughs> um, and um, um, and in, in Patience's eyes, she's described as Da Chou Feng De Liu Lao Lao. So Da Chou Feng means like to sponge off someone or to like, mm. you know, to, to, yeah, kind of, I think sponge is the right word. Um, and so she's, Patience is like, oh God, not this, you know, not this one come again to mm. kind of beg, beg for stuff. Um, that's clearly her memory of her um, uh, from previous chapters. But as we can see in this case, she at least ostensibly has not come to beg, but rather to offer. Right. Um, and, and so it's, as we mentioned, um, 
it's it's the harvest time, right? We we just discussed it's the autumn harvest, let's say. Um, yeah. And actually, Granny Leo kind of she describes it pretty well herself. Maybe we should just read that. Um, sure. Her idea is that you know you all are uh, acquainted with you know all the delicacies of you know, of faraway lands and of the ocean. Um, but you know what you haven't experienced is some like fresh from the dirt. Uh, nowadays we we would say like organic um, produce. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, no no pesticides. Organic artisanal. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, what what does she say? What how does she describe it? She says. Um. um she says. Um. Uh, well, she says, 姑娘们天天山珍海味的. So you ladies every day are eating, as you said, uh, kind of delicacies. Shanzhen, like jewels from the mountains, highway, and like specialisms, delicacies from the sea. And that's a Changyu. Um. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's a stock stock phrase. And he sa- and she goes on to say, yeah, So you'll make yourselves kind of sick. Yeah, sick of it. Ni is kind of like greasy, sickly. So it's the idea yeah, of... Yeah, like, like tired of. Yeah. You're, you're, you're sick of all that stuff. Um, oh, and she says, yeah, exactly. So, you know, eat some of these kind of almost like wild wild veg, but really it's kind of like country veg, I suppose, here. Yeah. Rustic. Yeah. Uh, so, which amounts to something like kind of the sweat of our brows, like mm-hmm. the expenditure of our hearts, something like that. Uh, so she kind of gives it a, she has her own kind of value theory, right? She's saying like y- you, you've experienced, you know, a certain form of uh, like rare delicacy, right? And there's a certain value to that, but there's also a certain value to a kind of a more wholesome f- and, and and by implication fresher, right? She mentions, you know, you, it, it's the it's the joy of, of the farmer to you can, sometimes you can get it right from the ground. And it's gonna be it's like sushi in a sense. It's like Yeah. It's like it's so fresh yeah. you don't need to cook it or <laughs> not, not exactly. Exactly, exactly. It's, yeah, she it's does say similar, exactly right? that, doesn't she? Um, she says that, you know, when we're dreaming of something tasty to eat, you know, when we're thinking of eating like meat or fish, which in her mind are kind of like delicacies, which I think it's kind of says a lot about, you know, the the, the diet of the average kind of Chinese peasant, I suppose. Uh-huh. Um she says, you know, when we're dreaming of something nice, what we do is we go out and just pluck something off one of the off one of the bushes or from from the earth and eat that instead. You know, have it fresh, mm-hmm. and that's when it tastes best. Right, right. And so she's she's very kind of conscious about. Um, I mean, all of her interactions with uh, the family, it, it's very like self conscious, um, and like every like every line, every like. You know, all, all of her body positions, they all kind of very clearly um, are meant to um, highlight, uh, like, the, the, the social difference between them, right? Absolutely, And, yeah, and she, yeah. she, she goes to great pains to sort of humble herself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what she brought, she's brought um, zar, which are like, zar are like ju- jujubes, yeah. something like that. Yeah, you can make a kind of tea with them. They're kind of like slightly sweet fruit, I guess. Um, she's bought uh, wogua, which are like gourds or other kind of squash type veg. It's like a pumpkin. Like, like I think it's a regional term for nangua. 
Ah, uh, uh, okay. So it's yeah. So it's basically pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. And then she's brought. Uh, she, uh, like, she's brought what I could describe as yeah tai, which, yeah. I mean, could be literally like wild vegetables here, but it's more like again, kind of country, country veg, rustic veg, um, so kind of freshly picked um, vegetables and herbs and that sort of mm. thing. Um, mm. So all this stuff fresh from the farm. So, oh yeah, wait, did you want to talk at all about this comment that I think either Joe Ray's wife or Zhang Tai's Zhang Tai's wife makes about Ping Ar being drunk? Okay. Um, Basically, one of them says, you know, why didn't you bring me along? I, I want to drink more often. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That, that, I think, was the funny thing. Was, yeah, exactly. Zhang Tai's wife was like, well, nobody invited me. <laughs> you know, I, I love getting I, drunk. I, 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 was, I, was, I, was, I was like, okay. Have we, um, yeah, have we encountered her at all yet? Is she a new character? I, I, I was sort of squinting. Like, like, I don't remember before. this character. Yeah. Uh, Joe, Joe Ray's wife we have seen of course um, yeah I, I think the, fir the first time we met her was the same time as Granny Leo in chapter 6 yeah yeah Joe Ray uh, escorted I think what happened I imagine something similar happened again where uh, where Granny Leo first went to Joe yeah. Ray's wife who kind of acted as a yes, liaison exactly. uh, as she did it in chapter 6 and presumably yeah because, because that worked last time she probably just follows the same that's what I imagined. That's kind of what I imagined. 